We'll continue in uh, 1 Thessalonians. Uh, if you recall, we, I preached on chapter 1 uh, a couple weeks ago, and so we'll continue into chapter 2 today. Uh, so please do open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, chapter 2 deals with Paul and Silas's ministry amidst much conflict and opposition. And so before we uh, read God's word, a quick story from the Christian Post about uh, receiving God's word when the cost is high. Uh, hearing our sermon and presentation last week from James and uh, meeting many missionaries at the ARP's uh, General Synod this week uh, led me to the story of Khalil. Um, Khalil grew up in Sudan as, as a, in a Muslim family and uh, became a practicing uh, Muslim throughout his youth. He attended university in Egypt and uh, returned to Sudan where he met a, a Christian pastor who uh, inspired him with his Christian faith. And as Khalil read the Gospel of John and the, about the Good Shepherd and the Father who was the God of love, uh, Khalil was moved and he began attending the pastor's church and, and reading the word and soon entrusted his life to Christ. And uh, he stayed with this pastor for three months, growing in his faith um, when, in Christ before he returned to his home village. Um, and when Khalil's father realized he had become a Christian, uh, his family disowned him, uh, his his father actually threatened to, to shoot him, so Khalil fled. Uh, but that did not deter Khalil's faith. He preached the gospel. He won friends to Christ. Uh, he married a wife, and they had children together. And he and his wife, were, as, as they were attending church together, uh, persecution continued and even intensified. Uh, family members reported him to the police, and he and his wife had to flee and become refugees in Egypt. And while in Egypt, his, his wife's family convinced her to, to return to their family and... and um, become a Muslim again, and so she took their children with her and returned to her family in Sudan. And Khalil had little recourse in the court system because at the time, um, apostasy, leaving the Muslim faith, was um, against the law, punishable by even death. So in Khalil's story, we see a great cost to his safety and his family relationships as a result of his acceptance of the gospel and the word of God. And as we recall in, in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, uh, the Thessalonian believers had received Paul and Silas's message despite severe persecution and opposition in their city, but yet they were standing firm and persevered in the faith that was delivered to them. So let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I will read today verses 1 through 16. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. 
You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. This is the word of the Lord. It's divinely inspired and inerrant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, we thank you that it is not merely the word of men. It is your word. It is the word of God, your word to us. Lord, uh, help us, Father, to uh, understand it. Lord, to apply it to our lives. Lord, give us eyes to see you through this text. Give us ears to hear you in it. And Lord, uh, use it to transform our hearts by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. So we read in verse 1 of chapter 2 that Paul and Silas's visit to the Thessalonian church was not in vain. Uh, we would expect that Paul and Silas and Timothy would describe uh, something about the Thessalonians that would be evidence that the gospel was effect- coming to them was effective. And if we look back in chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, uh, we see probably what Paul is referring to, and Silas and Timothy as well. Um, it says in chapter Chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. But here in chapter 2, for 12 verses, Paul and Silas and Timothy describe their own ministry in Thessalonica. So why would they do this? We need to remember The context, within three weeks of Paul and Silas arriving in Thessalonica, an angry mob formed, and after threatening these new believers, uh, they forced Paul and Silas to leave town. And this mob didn't stop. They they continued to persecute the new believers in Thessalonica, and they were probably making all kinds of false accusations about Paul and Silas. uh, Because if they could convince these uh, new believers that Paul and Silas, they were just charlatans or tricksters or only interested in personal gain, Uh, not true preachers of the word, they could then convince the Thessalonians that their faith was a hoax as well. So Paul and Silas in chapter 2 are defending themselves, not for their own sake, uh, but to reassure and prove to the Thessalonians that their faith is real. Uh, They understood the implications of of their ministry being slandered. If Paul and Silas's character is called into question, then the message they preached could be discredited. But because Paul and Silas's ministry was truly the work of God, Among them, their faith was the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives and their hearts. And so Paul and Silas spend these first 12 verses defending their ministry um, to reassure the Thessalonians that because they have a real ministry from the Lord, the faith that they were given from the Holy Spirit came in power and, and gave them real conviction as well. And so as we study Paul and Silas' defense of their ministry, it will be instructive for us 
as we consider what true and effective ministry looks like. And so in our text this morning, we'll consider it in three parts. First, verses 1 through 7, Paul and Silas' winsome ways. Then in verses 8 through 12, we'll read of Paul and Silas' worthy work, walk, and witness. And finally, the response in verses 13 through 16, the Thessalonians welcoming the word of God. So we begin in verses 1 through 7 with Paul and Silas's winsome ways. I think the central verse in this section is verse 4, which says, Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. First, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy were approved by God. Uh, We know that uh, Paul, or Saul at the time, his calling is recorded in Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 9 says Paul is God's chosen instrument. Acts chapter 13, uh, the Holy Spirit told them to set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that, to which they have called them, to which the Spirit has called them. Um, and in Acts chapter 26, verses 16 through 18, say this. Um, this is Paul giving the testimony of, of his conversion. Um, it says, But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you, Paul, as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So they were not only approved by God, they were approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We just heard in Acts 26 how God sent Paul to the Gentiles that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And this is the message of salvation of, through Jesus Christ, the gospel. Uh, this gospel, it brings salvation. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, both Jew and Greek. How precious is this message? To be sure, it is the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ. Even the message itself is a gift from God entrusted to these men. Therefore, they were stewards of this message, and they knew that they would one day give an account to God of their stewardship. Yes, it's true, Paul and Silas were special. They had a special calling of God to advance the church and to preach the message of salvation through Christ to the Gentiles. But actually, our calling as Christians is very similar. We, as his church, have been entrusted with the gospel. So what a responsibility we have to steward the gospel, to offer it freely, to preach it faithfully, to protect it from falsehood. And so how does this work itself out? What are the features of Paul and Silas's winsome gospel ministry? We have descriptions of several attributes in verses 2 through 7 of, of how Paul and Silas and Timothy faithfully shared God's message that had been entrusted to them. Uh, first, in verse 2, we, we see Paul and Silas's boldness as they preach the gospel. Uh, boldness is not a natural attribute especially in the midst of much opposition and persecution and suffering. So why would Paul and Silas have such boldness? It it tells us in verse 2, it's boldness in our God, because they were in Christ. Paul and Silas were ready, in season and out, to speak the truth and proclaim the death and resurrection of Christ for the salvation of both Jew and Gentile. God is the focus of their ministry, not themselves. Um, Thus, Paul and Silas can be bold and confident Um, When boldness, that word is used in the New Testament, it always has to do with proclaiming the gospel. Notice how Paul and Silas refer to it. It's the gospel of God. And several more times in this chapter, it's referred to that way. 
The good news originates from God, not man. The gospel tells us about God and invites men to take away, to take God's way of salvation through the faith, through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the way and the truth and the life. And he's the only way. No one comes to the Father except through Christ. So are we bold in sharing our faith? I know I sometimes shy away from speaking about God or the gospel when I sense it won't be well received or I think others might disapprove. Um, Paul and Silas, though, they were bold when faced with the, even the prospect of beating and stoning and imprisonment and death. Uh, if we believe, if we truly believe that the gospel is true and Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation for sinners, then we should proudly proclaim and boldly proclaim the message to anyone who can hear it. The second feature of Paul and Silas's ministry is its truthfulness. Um, it was not in error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. That's from verse 3. Uh, positively stated, their message, the gospel of God, was true and pure. And uh, these ministers were honest and transparent. They had integrity. They had no need to use trickery or deceit to get their message across. Uh, Dr. Warren Wearsby says, Some methods are unworthy of the gospel. They are cheap, whereas the gospel is a costly message that required the death of God's only son. They are worldly and man-centered, whereas the gospel is a divine message centered in God's glory. Paul and Silas and Timothy didn't need an elaborate marketing campaign. They didn't need to make the gospel less offensive to their culture. Uh, they just needed to be unashamed and faithful to preach the truth of the gospel to the Thessalonians. And God took care of the rest and sent his Holy Spirit in power to bring full conviction. The third feature of their ministry it was unselfish and generous uh, this is from verses 5 and 6. It says they did not do it for flattery, pleasing others. They didn't do it for greed or seeking their own glory, pleasing themselves. Um, Paul warns the Romans at the end of his letter about those who use flattery to serve their own self-interest rather than the Lord. Romans 16, verses 17 through 18 say this. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Why do we use flattery? It's because we, we want to get what we want, right? Uh, we, we flatter, we use insincere words to persuade another to do our will, right? Not only is that the wrong motivation, but it perverts the message. It's very dangerous, uh, Paul says preaching the gospel for selfish reasons uh, can easily cause divisions and create obstacles. Uh, our aim should be to preach the gospel with pure motives, to please God and not others or ourselves. Uh, we must be unselfish with the gospel. Um, our fourth attribute of, of their gospel ministry is, is gentleness, motherly gentleness. In verse 7, uh, just as Paul and Silas and Timothy were faithful stewards of the gospel message, they were gentle and motherly to this young church. Uh, what qualities do mothers show toward their nursing children? Uh, number one, uh, protection. We remember the, the story of, of Solomon's wisdom in 1 Kings chapter 3. Uh, two women claimed to be the mother of this child. And, and so how could Solomon tell which, which was the, the child's mother? Um, well, the one who protected her child. She was willing to even let the other woman have this child uh, rather than her child be harmed. Uh, there's a bond or a connection between mother and child. Ultimately, mothers give of themselves to nourish her child. 
as a nursing mother eats food and she transforms what she takes into her body into nutritious milk for the baby. A mother is eating for two, not only during pregnancy, but also as she nurses her infant child. So it's important as we think about those of us who are feeding and discipling younger men and women and children in the faith to ensure that we are not feeding on the wrong things ourselves. As Hebrews and 1 Corinthians remind us, we who are mature should be feeding on solid food, on the meat of scripture, so that we can provide pure spiritual milk to those babes in the faith that we minister to. And so how did Paul and Silas and Timothy share this message? In one aspect, they're very clear. It is to please God and not men. That's the end of verse 4. As we are entrusted with the gospel, that must be our aim, to please God himself. You know, how tempting it is to, to change this gospel message, to emphasize certain parts and de-emphasize others, to please men. And we see it often in the church today. Instead of worshiping what is, instead of worship that is pleasing to God, you know, we think what would attract more people. Or we think the Bible's teaching on marriage and sexuality is not going to be well received. So we'll just emphasize God's love and forgiveness rather than the need for repentance. Brothers and sisters, uh, what is pleasing to God is maintaining the purity of the gospel, the purity of God's word. And so uh, let us examine ourselves and our own hearts and our motives, uh, knowing that God is the one who knows our hearts and tests our hearts. So this is what it looked like to be approved by God and to be entrusted with the gospel. Uh, Paul and Silas's winsome ways involve boldness, truthfulness, unselfishness, generosity, and motherly gentleness, all aiming to please God. And so we move from their winsome ways into Paul and Silas's worthy walk and work and witness in verses 8 through 12. Uh, verses 8 through 12 uh, provide some further description of how Paul and Silas implemented this stewardship of the gospel and, and what it looked like as they lived and worked and walked and witnessed among the Thessalonians in a manner worthy of the gospel. Uh, we see in verse 8 that uh, their ministry, their work, and their walk was self-giving and self-sacrificing. If you recall in chapter 1, we, we read about the, the labor of love and how love is more than just a feeling, it's, it's work. And while that's true, it's incomplete. Here we see um, the depth of, of Paul and Silas's gospel love for the Thessalonians. It says in verse 8, they were affectionately desirous of the Thessalonians. There was a real depth of love and affection for the Thessalonians. Matthew Henry says this, the apostle had a most affectionate love to their persons and sought them, not theirs, themselves, not their goods, and to gain them, not to be a gainer by them. It was their spiritual and eternal welfare and, and salvation that he was earnestly desirous of. You know, so much so that they were ready to share with the Thessalonians not only the gospel of God, but also their own selves in verse 8. Uh, they were ready to, to spend and to be spent in ministry to the Thessalonians. So as a mother gives of herself to her child, so Paul and Silas and Timothy were, were ready to give of themselves for the nourishment of their spiritual children. And because they had shared the gospel and share, shared their lives with the Thessalonians, it says they became very dear to them. Uh, I think an illustration of this uh, is one that we've seen recently is uh, Paula and and Liz and Jan have been examples to us all how this is done, as they've not only shared the gospel of God with their ladies who attended their Embrace, Gate, Embrace Grace studies for pregnant and new mothers, but they formed such a bond with them. Uh, they gave of themselves, their time, their effort, their energy, 
and uh, particularly in the last few weeks as uh, we've witnessed how they've rallied around a mother who, who lost her baby and they prayed with her and, and for her and they were bold in, in sharing Christ with her in, in her time of need and they sacrificially gave of their time and resources and uh, we only know snippets of that news that gets shared but what an important ministry these women have uh, to share the gospel and to disciple people who had become very dear to them. And moving on to verse 9, Paul and Silas' work and labor and toil uh, enabled them to support themselves so they would not be a burden to the Thessalonians. Uh, Paul and Silas wanted no stumbling blocks in the way of the Thessalonian church receiving the word. Uh, These men offered the gospel freely, so they wanted it to be free from cost to the Thessalonians as well. So no one could accuse them of, of false motives. On the other hand, gospel ministry can be quite burdensome. Uh, to those involved. Paul and Silas say they labored and toiled night and day. They worked to ensure they could provide for themselves and and not be a burden. And we see the sacrifice that they made. While they were entitled to be compensated and supported for ministering the gospel, they laid aside their rights for the sake of those they preached to. For those of us who, like Paul and Thessalonica, work to support ourselves and our families, Uh, We can give of ourselves to support the sharing of the gospel in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, our families, and other relationships. But there are some to whom God calls to full-time ministry. Um, And Lord willing, we will soon call a pastor. We will provide for this man and his family so that he can devote himself to the work of equipping the saints, preaching the whole counsel of God and his word, and and shepherding and caring for the sheep. Um, Others are called to be church planners and missionaries, Uh, We have church planters in our presbytery. This week I met uh, Pastor Brooks Pfeiffer, who is a church planter in uh, Burbank, California. They just recently started meeting, and they have a group of about 30. He told me that uh, most of the people in his church have no background of faith. uh, When it comes to God, he's really starting from scratch. Uh, But these are pastors and missionaries who rely on churches and Christians to support them so that they can devote themselves to sharing the gospel and building churches in areas where there are many unreached people. And so we give as a church to local missions and world missions. So through your gifts, we're partners with the Refinery, Hope for Opelousas, French Camp Academy. Uh, We support gospel ministry abroad through Jane Brinkerhoff and James and Stephanie and Josh and Vanya in in Germany. And praise God that we can be partners with them. Uh, May we seek to increase our support for these men and women who are devoting their lives and themselves in service to the Lord. Um, sharing the message of Christ and him crucified. In verse 10, we see Paul and Silas appeal to the Thessalonians to remember that their conduct was above reproach in three ways. In in holiness, Paul here is describing his approach to God. Second, in righteousness, in in the way they conducted themselves toward others. And in blamelessness, uh, no accusation could be made among them or, or about them. Uh, Paul Paul and Silas didn't have to say, don't look at us, just look at Jesus. Uh, The power of Jesus was real and evident in their own lives. It's true, Jesus is our perfect example of a life lived in obedience to God. Uh, The word became flesh and dwelt among us to point people to the Father and by his atonement to give us access to the Father. But the people we preach the gospel to may need a similar incarnate being to help point them to God. We are to be that salt and light in the world. And we do that by pointing people to Jesus Christ. Um, And we also live lives that display the work of the Spirit of God. So Paul and Silas knew a holy and righteous life draws others 
to follow Jesus for themselves. And at the end of this section, in verses 11 and 12, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy explain that they behaved in a fatherly manner to the Thessalonians. We read in the last section that they were gentle as a nursing mother, and here in verses 11 and 12, they're fathers to the Thessalonians. Uh, There are three things they did as fathers in verse 12. First, they exhorted. Uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy eagerly devoted themselves to not only telling the Thessalonians what's right, but prodding them along toward it. Uh, They encouraged them. When when Thessalonians were discouraged, lacking in zeal or desire, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy encouraged them. They reminded them that living the Christian life is worth it, uh, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in them. And third, they charged them. They admonished the Thessalonians. Here's your task. Here's your challenge. This is, this is the aim. And what were they charged and exhorted and encouraged to do? Verse 12, to walk in a manner worthy of God. This seems at first to be an unattainable goal. Dr. Leon Morris says this, this is the highest standard that could possibly be conceived. While it is true that God's love does not grow less, no matter how we may, fail, may fall, Yet we should not waver in our grasp of the complementary truth that such a God must be served with all our powers. Nothing less can be offered to him who gave his son for us than all we have and all we are. Indeed, this is their calling, and it's our calling also to be set apart, to be sanctified to God as we look forward to joining him in his kingdom and his glory. So Paul and Silas and Timothy have spent 12 verses defending their ministry, their winsome ways, their worthy walk and work and witness, um, that they might respond to those accusations against them, to soundly put them to rest and reassure the Thessalonians that their motives were pure, their message is true, and thus their faith is not in vain. And we see in the last section what the result of these winsome ways and worthy walk are. Excuse me. Uh, The Thessalonians welcomed the work of God, verses 13 through 16. Paul and Silas thank God constantly for yet something else. The Thessalonians receive the word of God not as merely the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God. Verse 13. The enemy's attempts to discredit these men were ineffective. The good news was received and accepted, and it is still at work in them. Uh, The first thing to notice is that Paul and Silas thanked God for this. They recognized that they were merely intermediaries, Paul and Silas couldn't give ears to hear or eyes to see. This verse also lends support to the fact that Paul's writings are part of divinely inspired scripture. Paul and Silas and Timothy here acknowledge that the word they shared with the Thessalonians was and is the word of God. Not the word of men, but the word of God himself. And so we consider Paul's writings, the 13 letters that he wrote to the New Testament churches, as divinely inspired words of God. And so what is our responsibility when it comes to the word of God? Um, Paul and Silas and Timothy described the things the Thessalonians did. They received it first. Um, They listened well. They paid attention. They recognized the source. But the next level is they accepted it. Uh, Not just heard it, but they put it into practice. The word of God should transform our hearts and our minds and our souls. And they allowed it to do its work. Um, This power manifested itself in the lives of these believers was not worldly power. It was divine power. And when the word of God was welcomed with obedient faith, uh, the power of God was at work in their lives. And we can be sure that when the word of God is most fervently preached and wholeheartedly received and accepted, uh, there Satan will do his best to attack. And we see that 
in verses 14 through 16. Paul and Silas and Timothy explain that the Thessalonians became imitators of the church in Judea, surrounding Jerusalem. So in what ways were they imitators? In receiving the word of God, sure. But the emphasis is on another way that they are imitating the church, suffering. Uh, verse 14 at the end says, For you suffered the same things for your, from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So it was not only the Jews, in, the Jews in Thessalonica that opposed these new believers, but the Greeks as well. And, and through the persecution of these countrymen, the Thessalonians suffered. That word is the same word used of Jesus' sufferings. Um, the Thessalonians willingly suffered the same things as, as the Jews because they believed that the message shared by Paul and Silas and Timothy was indeed the word of God. The word of man is not worth suffering for, but a true message from God is. And this section ends with a picture of what it looks like when the word of God is not received and accepted as the true word of God. Um, what follows in verses um, 14 and 15 and 16 is, is one of the strongest denunciations of the Jews found anywhere in the Bible. Uh, we must remember that Paul and Silas were themselves Jews. Uh, Paul called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, Paul loved his Jewish brethren. He wished that he could be accursed for the sake of his brothers. Uh, so Paul here is qualified to put forward this criticism. It's not racism or anti-Semitism. It's simply uh, the truth. Uh, Paul's anger, if we can call it that, is, is the anger of a man at his own people. So verses 15 and 16 list several ways that, that the Jews caused suffering to the church of believers in Christ Jesus. It says in verse 15, they killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. So they not only rejected the words of God, but also the word made flesh. Uh, we must be careful here. At the heart of it, it was not the Jews who were solely responsible. This was God's divine plan for redemption. Uh, he used the Jewish leaders to conspire to arrest Jesus and turn him over to Pilate for his crucifixion. But truly, it was our sins that sent him to the cross. This act, which brought judgment and wrath on them, uh, God uses to bring us redemption and forgiveness of sins and new life and adoption as sons and daughters. Uh, second, it says they, they drove Paul and Silas out. It was the Jews in Thessalonica who uh, formed the mob and, and, and pushed them out. And uh, Paul and Silas had personal experience with the Jews' rejection of the word of God. Third, it says they displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering them from speaking to the Gentiles. God's desire is that people from all nations be saved. His covenant with Abraham promised that his offspring, all nations on earth would be blessed. Through his offspring, all nations on earth would be blessed. So for the Jews to interfere with God's work through his word, they evoke God's displeasure. And the picture here is the Jews filling up the measure of their sins. And the conclusion is that wrath has come upon them at last. Uh, the Jews who reject Jesus are in an utterly helpless and hopeless state. Uh, their judgment and the Lord's wrath upon them is so sure that uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy write about it in the past tense, that wrath has come upon them. So it was no consolation to Paul that the Jews are under God's wrath, just as it, it, is no, it was no consolation for Khalil that his Muslim family and countrymen who reject the gospel and reject Christ are similarly under his wrath. Uh, yet Khalil in Sudan continues in hope. Uh, despite the threat of persecution or prosecution for apostasy, even to the point of the death penalty, uh, Khalil professed his Christian faith in the Sudanese court system as he sought to, to see his children. And, and God showed mercy. The court granted him visitation of his children. 
and though he is still alienated from the rest of his family. Um, but Khalil had received and accepted the word of God. He, he perseveres despite the conflict and persecution, striving to walk in a manner worthy of God. And he is working to translate hymns and the Bible into Nobin, uh, one of the tribal languages in Sudan. And may we, who face much less opposition, as we have been entrusted with the gospel, handle it rightly, proclaim it boldly, yet with gentleness. May our conduct be holy and righteous and blameless as we seek to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and exhort and encourage our brothers and sisters to do the same. And as we endure suffering, may we hold fast the scripture, knowing that it is not merely the words of men, but may we, may we treasure it as the very word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us in 1 Thessalonians. Father, we thank you for the example of Paul and Silas and Timothy and uh, their ministry to the Thessalonians. Father, we pray that, Lord, you would use it, Lord, to improve our lives, to, to sanctify us, to convict us, Lord, where we need conviction, to, um, Lord, seek repentance where we need repentance, and, Lord, to grow us in our faith. Lord, we thank you for their boldness. We thank you for their gentleness, for the way that they minister to this church. And, Lord, help us as we consider the ways in which we, uh, we minister each day and each week, uh, Lord, to those in our families, in our workplaces, in our um, other relationships. Lord, um, help us to uh, grow in these characteristics, in these attributes, Lord, as we uh, uphold your word as the very word of God. Father, help us, Lord, to, uh, to regard it as such. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> 